Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Talking Sports with Evan. Uh, I want to thank you for watching the show, but for those that are joining me live and for those that will be listening to the uh, podcast version, I appreciate it as well. I'm your host, Evan with Allison, and um, apologize for last week. I was going to go live uh, <clears throat> about Thursday later in the week to do a Packer Steeler preview but unfortunately, my internet would not allow me to go live as I was having some connectivity issues. And, you know, then unfortunately, things get in the way with work and whatnot. So here I am here today uh, broadcasting here live with this week's episode of Talking Sports with Evan. And a uh, few things to discuss here today. Um, first of all, Packers beat the Steelers. Um, 27-17 this past Sunday. I'm going to kind of go over that game a little bit, things that I liked and things that I didn't like. The Packers are set to play the Bengals coming up this week. Um, can the Packers win their fourth in a row and improve to 4-1, and one, or will the Bengals win and improve their record to 4-1? and one? Both teams sitting at 3-1, and one, both teams sitting first place in their respective divisions. The Milwaukee Brewers... Um, they are set to take on the Atlanta Braves in game uh, one of the NLDS starting tomorrow. And going to kind of br- uh, break down that game a little bit, uh, preview the series and give my predictions on that series and how far I truly think the Brewers are going to go. But before I do go any further, um, oh, I'm also going to talk about the, you know, I saw this topic on a, a local sports, uh, I mean, not even sports talk show, a local talk show, uh, radio show this week about is the officiating in the NFL the worst it's ever been. And I'm going to give my reasons on why it's not. Um, and I, I am a, I am an official. I am a uh, WIAA certified official. Um, and I'm kind of going to, I'm going to talk a little bit about why, you know, it's not the officiating is not the problem. The officiating hasn't, isn't the problem. It's, other other things on why the quote the officiating is the worst it's ever been. But before I do go any further, um, I do come to you with some you know come to you with some somber news. Uh, you know I started working in the radio business part time back in 2013, I want to say, and I started working alongside a gentleman who uh, kind of felt I kind of you know kind of gave you know I kind of. Uh, kind of a bit of a mentor to me and I uh, learned a lot just by you know having conversations and talking with him and whatnot and I, I finally got my my own radio my own show um, there is a football team here in Racine the plays and uh, we used to be on the air on uh, WG uh, WR WRJN um, so I did the Raider post game show and <laughs> You know, very first show I ever did did not go well. And, you know, I, I'm i freaking out. They're going to, you know, cancel my show. I'm not going to get a, a second chance. It's, you know, whatever. So talking to Lou Turner, um, he was the the program director then at the time. And he uh, texted him and about, you know, how things went. And he goes to me, well, you know what? Your, fo- your first show is a lot like, you know, when you make pancakes. That first pancake... I always just screw up. So you could only do better from there. And I, I personally feel I did. Um, 
you know, Raiders moved on to a different uh, different platform to video streaming now. But, you know, I kind of take, um, take that to heart a little bit because, you know, things aren't going to go well all the time. You're going to screw up. You're going to, you know, have problems. And at the end of the day, you know, the first time to screw up and then you kind of can learn from there and try to improve. So, but do want to give uh, Lou Turner a quick shout out who uh, passed away yesterday um, and just, you know, share that with the audience. He's someone that was extremely, you know, important to me um, and, you know, still is in regards to where I'm at in, in radio. So other news I want to share with you all. Um, so <laughs> I was supposed to, uh, shadow a varsity officiating crew tomorrow. Um, that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to shadow an officiating crew, varsity crew. So I've been an official for a couple of years now. Haven't done any varsity games, and I was supposed to shadow a varsity crew tomorrow. Well, that quickly ch- changed from shadowing an officiating crew to now I'm going to be um, part of an officiating a varsity crew for my first time as the the back judge. So that's also, you know, you know, that's exciting uh, and nervous at the same time. I've never done a varsity game and I've never been a back judge before. I'm normally a linesman or head linesman and the different games that I do. So definitely be inexperienced there. So if I do have any officials um, currently watching this and you want to give some advice or listening to this at Evan with sports on Twitter, talking sports, uh, with Evan at gmail.com for any advice you could potentially give me as well. So um, speaking of officiating, that's perfect segue. So I saw a topic earlier this week on a local program here in the Milwaukee area, and the topic was, is officiating in the NFL at its all-time worst? And to me, the answer is an easy no. Um, you know, first of all, and I'm I'm not, you know, I don't mean to stand on a my pedestal here or stand on my soapbox. I don't mean to do that. But first of all, being an official is really hard. Um being being an official is extremely hard. Um you know, the the, the game of football is fast. The NFL is even faster. And as an official, you have split second to make a decision to determine if there is a penalty or not, if the ball popped out or not, if the ball was caught or not. You have split seconds to make that decision. You know, the the issue isn't officiating is at an all-time worst. The thing is, technology is at an all-time best. You know, us sitting at home, we can get instant replays of super slow frame-by-frame action from every single angle of the play that shows you what happened, what transpired. And it makes officials look bad. You know, it does. It makes officials look bad when it's like, how do they miss this call? Well, you got to understand. So I usually work with a crew of four, um, typically for freshmen and JV. I, you know, if I'm a linesman, I have an area that I'm watching. I'm watching my keys are what's right in front of me. That's my key. Um, I'm not watching what's going on in the opposite side. That's what the other alignment's for. I'm not watching what's going on in the backfield. That's what the, the, the white hat's for. And I'm not watching what's going on behind the defense because that's what the umpire's for. My job is watching what's right in front of me. Um, so that's my area to watch. 
we our eyes can't be everywhere at once. And we sometimes have situations where we get blocked out by bodies. We get people between us and the infraction. And we don't see it all the time. But guess what? There's probably a camera that has the, the right angle that's showing what our eyes didn't see. So in my, in my opinion, officiating is not at an all-time worst that it's ever been. NFL officials are really good. NFL officials are great at what they do. The thing is, technology is, the, is why officials don't look good sometimes. Example is the Packer-Steeler game. There was a play where, in, in watching it slow motion, T.J. Watt tripped Rodgers. And should have, the uh, tripping was called initially, then they waved it off. Tripping should have been called after watching on replay. But when you watch full speed, you know, the guys that are watching, it's so quick, it happens so fast, that now you have to make a split-second decision. Did I see what I thought I saw? Okay, I'm going to drop the flag. The officials huddle up, and now it's like, are you positive you saw that? Because that's a big penalty in that situation. Are you positive that is what you saw? And if another guy might have had a better angle, hey, what did you see? Well, I I didn't think he put his leg out intentionally. What do you think? Well, you know, he might not have. I don't know. Oh, w- wave the flag off. It happens. You know, again, super slow motion. It's an obvious tripping call. In uh, f- full speed, it, it's hard to tell. You know, it's hard to tell intent on T.J. Watt there. And I was having this discussion with a friend of mine after the game about the situation because the Packers and 49ers a week prior, they played and Adrian Amos stuck his leg out, tripped the quarterback and the tripping penalty was called. And the question, you know, I said, well, you know, the San Francisco one, it was clear and obvious a tripping penalty. And he's like, well, I felt this one was too. Well, yeah, but with the officials, you have a lot of bodies around the play itself so you may not have a good view on what's going on. Um, the one in San Francisco, well, Amos was being held. I will say that much. But the hold wasn't called. But you can clearly see Amos stick his leg out to try to trip up the ball carrier. Easy penalty. Um, a little more obvious than that. And officiating's hard. It's not easy. If it was easy, there wouldn't be a shortage of officials. Um but that's kind of my take on it. I'm sure I've missed things. I'm sure there's things that I should have, if I could go back on it, I probably would have done differently. But it's part of officiating, and the game is going so quickly that you're bound, your eyes are bound to miss stuff. And that's why you have a crew. That's why you have eyes looking in multiple areas that if I miss it, hopefully somebody else will see it. Or if they miss it, maybe I'll see it. So, again, it's not that the officiating is at an all-time worst. It's not. I strongly believe that. The issue is technology is at an all-time best. So that's the issue. That's why officials on the NFL on Sundays don't look good sometimes. Yes, there are some bad calls that they make that you're like, what the hell? <laughs> like the pass interference they called on Eric Stokes. To me, it wasn't pass interference, but they called it anyway. Um, plays like that. Yeah, I, I could make the argument that they got it wrong. But overall... We have split second to determine, did we see what we saw? And if the answer is no, we don't throw a flag. If it's yes, we throw a flag. So 
don't know if that makes any sense to, uh, to all a lot of you, but that's you know kind of how I look at it. So that's my thought on officials. Now moving on to Packers and Steelers. Um, overall, Packers played a strong game. The first the first defensive drive for the Packers didn't go really well. Pittsburgh drove right down the field and scored a touchdown rather easily to put it, put the Packers up seven nothing. Um, I think the receiver that scored the touchdown on the drive did get away with a bit of a push off on Alexander. Um, he did extend the arm there, and I think he did get away with the push off. But you know what's done is done. But after that, the Packers after Packers opening drive where they went three and out. Pinned the four, uh, pinned the Steelers. Well, it wasn't three and out. They end, ended up having to punt on the opening drive. Um, they pinned the Steelers inside the four yard line, forced them to have to punt from their own end zone, and then the Packers scored, and it was basically over with from there. Um, looking, you know, the offensive line once again, strong game, great game by the guys up front. They protected Rodgers well. He wasn't really pressured that much. And I, it's just amazing how how well Nijman, Runyon, May, Myers, and uh, Turner and um, Newman are playing. You know, Newman. You know, he has some growing pains as a rookie. Myers, not so much. He's still he's playing pretty solid. But like I said, Newman has some growing pains as a rookie. Um, but it's quite amazing how well this offensive line unit's playing. Nijman had his first career start against the Forty ers um, did pretty solid after that opening drive. Second start against Pittsburgh. We're now he's going up against uh, two really good pass rushers, and Ingram and and uh, Watt. He he more than holds his own there, and Billy Turner more than held his own against T.J. Watt in that situation. Um, and then the interior guys did a good job of opening holes and getting running lanes for. Um, the running backs, especially A.J. Dillon, who just wore out that Pittsburgh um, defense, that front seven. They just wore them out. And Dillon's running style wore out Pittsburgh. Um, offensive line played great. Defensively, Packers front seven played really solid. Um, uh, I think, you know, Kik, uh, Kiki Kingsley probably had his best game of the year so far. After his low start, he had a great game. Kenny Clark was nearly unblockable. Rashawn Gary led the team in pressures. He did get a, a sack or sack and a half, or, um, and one where he uh, pretty much took down Roethlisberger and an offensive tackle at the same time. Great play by Gary against Pittsburgh. Um, Lowry was kind of active in this game a little bit. Slayton was the one that could use some work, but you know he's a rookie. Um, if it wasn't for Lancaster being out with on the COVID list. Slayton probably doesn't play much. Um, Cambo, and, you know, I wasn't ready to give up on him after week one, but the in week one I saw why Cambo has kind of bounced around a little bit, why he hasn't been in one spot for a long period of time. But since week one, Cambo has been a great addition to this team. He's a sure tackler. Um, I think the Packers had their most missed tackles of the season against Pittsburgh. But he's a sure tackler. You know, guy, yeah, you're going to catch the ball on him, but you're not getting very far. He's good at closing down the ball, you know, chasing down ball carrier and getting to him before they're able to get upfield. Um, he's been pretty solid in coverage. He's great going against the run. 
and blitzing, he's gotten pretty good pressure on the quarterback from time to time when they send him loose on a blitz, and he can be pretty disruptive. And he's big for a middle linebacker. He's like 6'4". That's more of a height of an edge guy. So hence, I think, why you see the Packers kind of shift him out wide a little bit. Um, they were without Chris Barnes, so Ty Summers struggled again um, in his responsibilities. Oren Burks had a up-and-down game. Um, some moments he played pretty well. Other moments, eh, not so well. And then the cornerbacks, uh, Alexander, after a shaky opening drive, played pretty solid. Uh, Roethlisberger gave the game away at, at, in some ways with just how inaccurate he was trying to push the ball down the field. It was ridiculous because um, there was at least two touchdowns that Roethlisberger just missed um, in that game. And Stokes, he he balled. He gave up, I want to say, uh, 10 catches, but only averaged about eight yards a catch. And he was quick getting to the ball carrier and bringing the ball carrier down. And that's kind of that's kind of what the Packers do well. Um, this season, and that's kind of what the Barry defense is, is stressing is don't let things get behind us. You know, we're going to give us some things underneath, attack the ball, get the ball carrier down. And that is what Campbell and Stokes and those guys have done a pretty good job at. Um, Cincinnati is another, another, another animal. Um, they played some really solid football aside from their loss against the Bears. Um, Cincinnati. They won week one, 27-24. They lost week two, 2017. And then the last two weeks, 24-10, 24-21. Different test in Green Bay. Uh, Packers offense is really good. Cincinnati's defense is pretty good. Cincinnati gives up about 4.8 yards per play. Um, The completion percentage, they give up about 68% completion percentage, 43% on third down and 58% scoring in the red zone. Offensively, they get about 5.9 yards per play. Um, They run, they pass about 53% of the time. Um, 37% third down conversion rate, so you can get them off the field, and that's going to be key. And then red zone is 75% uh, of the time they score in the red zone. Packers are three-point favorites here against Cincinnati. And the big thing on the, how Green Bay is going to win, it's kind of how offensively it's like what we've seen. Um, let the offense uh, flow, through, for, uh, flow through Aaron Jones like they did it with San Francisco, like they did with Detroit. Um, let the offense kind of run through Aaron Jones a little bit. Get the ball in his hands, passing it uh, to him, running, giving the ball in a run. But let the offense run through Aaron Jones. That is one of the keys to this game. And protect Rodgers, obviously, is key. Um, Rodgers has not been hit very often at all. And he's getting the ball out on schedule a lot more, too, after week one. I said after week one, Rodgers struggled a lot getting the ball out on time. He held it just a little longer than he should. The last three weeks, he's been much better getting that ball out. Much better getting that ball out. And I think that's something you tip his hat to him. Maybe he saw in the film in week one that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, getting that football out. But he's been much better getting that ball out. Um, And that's going to be key in this game as well. Um, Get that ball out quickly. Get it in the receiver. Devontae Adams, uh, Lazard, Cobb, Jones, Dylan, Tanyan, whoever. 
get it in their hands and let them do their do their job. Let them do work. That's going to be key too. And I, I honestly, I don't know what this cornerback situation is going to look like. Alexander is obviously out um, with his shoulder injury. I think he, I don't, he hasn't officially been ruled out, but the floor pretty much ruled him out in press conference uh, earlier this week. Uh, yesterday, I want to say, he pretty much ruled uh, Alexander out. So you're going to have Kevin King. You're going to have Eric Stokes, Chandler Sullivan, and yeah, that's going to be your main three. And time to see you know, what they can do. And Kansas City, I mean, Cincinnati, Cincinnati has a pretty good passing game. Uh, Burrow has played extremely well the past couple weeks. His wide receivers have, have played extremely well. He's got some talent on that side of the football. Offensive line's a weakness, so you've got to get pressure on Burrow. You've got to force him into mistakes. Cannot let him get comfortable. Anytime you play a young quarterback, you cannot let them get comfortable, and you need to attack. And this is going to have to be Rashawn Gary's coming up party, Preston Smith. Um, Campbell, they're going to have to make, uh, Kenny Clark, they're going to have to make things uncomfortable for, uh, Burrow. That's how they're going to win. That's how they're going to get stops. That's how, and the thing, big thing too, is you can't let guys get behind you. Chase, that's something he does extremely well already as a rookie, getting, uh, taking the top off the defense. You can't let him. Um, you, you just can't let him. So I think the Packers do win. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a tough matchup between the Packers and the Bengals. But I think the Packers do win. I think they get the W. Um, probably be similar to the San Francisco game. Uh, that kind of, you know, it's probably be similar to the San Francisco game. Packers win, I'm going to say 27-21, 27-24, somewhere in that range. Um. Kind of jump back to the San Francisco game. I do have uh, a San Francisco game and Pittsburgh game. I do have one worry right now, and that is field goal, um, field goal, blocking on the field goal and extra point. Guys are getting a lot of pressure off the edge. They're, they're timing the snap just right. Pittsburgh got called for a questionable offsides penalty um, last Sunday, but overall teams are getting a good jump off that edge and. LaFleur said they made a lot of progress in cleaning that up this week. But when that happens, you got to look at uh, a couple things. Is it, the, is it the long snapper? Does he have a tell when he's about to snap the ball? Is it the holder? And it is a new holder, too. Does the holder have a tell when he's signaling to the, um, the long snapper to snap it? Does he have some kind of tell? And then Mason Crosby, does he have a tell that he's telling – the guys on the defense that the ball is about to get snapped because the ball was almost blocked in San Francisco. The guy on the edge got a great jump and just missed it. Pittsburgh, they got great jumps off the edge. And now it's up to Packers special team coaches to figure out what the issue is and fix it because, you know, well, first of all, Tanya needs to block somebody, first of all. Um, His actions on the field goal before halftime that initially got blocked, completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. You got to block somebody. And typically, you block your inside gap first. The inside guy has the shortest route to the the kicker, so that's where you go first. You block that down that way first. Typically, if the edge guy is able to get there, you know, so be it. He made a hell of a play. But the guy on the coming up around the edge has a less likely 
a less likelihood of getting that block than the guy coming near inside gap. So you got to block somebody, but theoretically, you need a block down. And that same goes for offensive line, too. You always protect your inside gap first, inside over outside. That's what I always got taught as an offensive lineman. Inside over outside. That's that's kind of the, the you know, what, what you look for. Um, and the O-line has to do a good job of passing guys off, too. Same with field goal team. And they've just not been doing it well. So... Next thing, Jalen Smith, the Packers signed from Dallas. Dallas releases him unexpectedly. Um, they're they're, they have to pay him $7 million. So the Packers are getting him extremely cheap. I think it's less than a, a million is what he signed for, 770000 I think I saw. And I've seen a lot of a back and forth on Twitter. Some people love the signing. Some people are like, he's awful. What the hell are you doing? I look at it this way. He's a former Pro Bowl linebacker. Jalen Smith, when he is on, he is a Pro Bowl caliber player. He gets tackles. He He's definitely an upgrade over Ty Summers and Oren Burks in the defense. Now, special teams, they, they those guys can shift back to sticking to special teams, doing what they do best. And now you have Campbell, Smith, and Bar, uh, Chris Bar- Barnes. Those three guys leading your middle of the defense. That's a good three that's a good three deep middle linebacker position. Um Jalen Smith is able to take the uh, roster spot of Chauncey Rivers who got placed on the IR today for a torn ACL. And I like the move. It's very low risk because you're not paying him anything. And it's very high reward. Because if he plays like he did his first couple years in the league and we've seen how Campbell's played recently um, after coming to Green Bay, we saw how a linebacker, um, can't think of his name right now, but in the Rams, I think he's with the Raiders now, uh, we saw how he played under Joe Barry. Joe Barry, as a play caller, say what you want about him as a play caller, but as a linebacker coach, he has been a very good linebacking coach. Um, again, say what you want about him as a play caller, but linebacking court, uh, coach is where he's earned his money, and he's done a very good job at linebacker. And now he gets Jalen Smith on the cheap upgrade from uh, Summers and Burks to add some depth to that middle. And now if Chris Barnes gets another concussion or breaks his thumb again, or heaven forbid something happens to Campbell, you're not having much of a drop in production and play. With Summers and Burks, you do. You're not winning a Super Bowl with Summers and Burks uh, playing a ton of a ton of defensive snaps. You're just not. <laughs> Teams are going to exploit that. And with Smith, Bur- Barnes, and Campbell, you have a three-headed monster at middle linebacker that is really good. And I get it. His film the last couple years has not been good. His film the last couple years, he struggled a lot. But... You're not you're not losing anything seeing how he does. So let's see how he does in, in Green Bay. See if he can revert, revert back to a little bit of how he played in in Dallas, and you know see what happens. So, and finally, the NL, the NLDS is set to start tomorrow. The Brewers set to play the Braves. The Giants set to play the Dodgers. 
I'm not here to talk about the Giants and the Dodgers. I'm here to talk Brewers and Braves. And I don't know what the fifty the the playoff roster is going to be, but I'm just going to mostly talk about my thoughts on the series and if you know how I think the Brewers are going to win this series. And it's simple: pitching. The Brewers have gotten this far by pitching. They they won the NL Central by pitching. They won 95 games because of pitching. Corbin Burns on the hill tomorrow. Uh, Brandon Woodworth on Saturday. Freddie Peralta on Monday, and then who knows on you know if necessary for Game Four and then Game Five. The Braves are a talented team. The Braves have some talent on that on their team. Um, I'm not downplaying what the Braves can do at all. Um, they they got some talent. They got some they got some pitching too. Um, you know they're they're led by uh, Freeman, um, Freddie Freeman. He uh, batted 300 on the year, 300, 393, 503, 896 split. Um, Austin Riley had 33 home runs this year, led the team with a 303 average, 107 RBIs. Freeman, 180 hits, a 393 on base percentage. Dansby Watson's had a pretty solid year at times. Ozzy uh, Albies has been pretty solid this season. The Braves have some talent on this team. And they can definitely make things difficult for you. And pitching, same way. They they got pitching that can make things difficult for you. Um, Charlie Morton had uh, 14 wins on the season. Max Fr- Fr- uh, Fried, a 3.04 ERA. Morton also had 216 strikeouts. Will Smith, former Brewer Will Smith, 37 saves. And Luke Jackson, 31 holds. This is a team that... Their bullpen is going to be tough to get uh, to get to get some uh, plays off of. Luke Jackson a 198 ERA, Max Freed a 304, um, Will Smith 344, and like I said, he has 37 saves, um, three and seven on three and seven on the year. So he is you can't get to him at times, but the Brewers again. Pitching is what got them there. Pitching is what's going to get them. And it sucks not having Devin Williams. Um, but they got to get by. And maybe you put uh, an Adrian Hauser type situation into the back end of the bullpen and use him like you did Josh Hader a couple years ago where you put Hauser in um, if you need to get a double play. Um, they're going to have to do the eighth inning by committee. Whatever the best matchup is pretty much is what they got to do. I think the Brewers win in four. I think they win game one and two in Milwaukee. I think they lose game three in Atlanta, and then they clinch game four in Atlanta. That's what I think the Brewers are going to do. And hopefully next time I talk to you next week, not only am I talking about a Packer victory, I'm talking about a Brewer series victory and I'm previewing the NLCS, hopefully. So, with that said, thank you so much for spending some time listening to this show. I appreciate the appreciate it, watching the show, listening to the show. Um, Facebook, Twitter, um, whatever you're watching or anywhere podcasts are found. It'll be posted later tomorrow in the morning. Um, with that said, I will get back at you all later on. Have a good one, everybody.